Hey, Pilates Elephants. I am here with Brittany Labotz, and we are going to guide you through her step-by-step process to go from stuck to fulfilled or living your dream life. So, um, hey, Brittany. Hi. Great to be with you. Yeah, I'm so excited to dive into this because while it's not specifically Pilates related. It has everything to do with Pilates teachers and their career path. So I'm so excited. Yeah, totally. Uh, in fact, that's why people become Pilates instructors, I think, overwhelmingly is because they want a more fulfilling, more meaningful, more joyful uh, career path that is you know, healthier for them mentally, physically, and spiritually. Uh, and sometimes when they get there, they wake up one day and realize, oh, I still feel kind of stressed and stuck. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It's, uh, I remember the first time I got on a reformer and it was instantly like, oh my gosh, this is it. This is the missing thing I've been looking for. Um, this is the path I want to pursue. I had been doing personal training before that and it was just something about it wasn't quite right. And I was looking for something else and Pilates was it. And same thing when I started teaching, I just knew it was the path I was supposed to be on and it felt exciting and sparkly and fun and I was motivated, but it didn't last. (laughs) It's like the things that followed me from personal training and everything else I had been doing started showing up in Pilates as well. And I think that's really what we're going to talk about today is like there's really no separation between your your career path and your personal life. Your teaching right. is just simply a mirror of what's going on inside. So, yeah. Well, having said that, uh, would you kindly introduce yourself to the Pilates? Yeah, industry? absolutely. Yeah. So I'm Brittany Labotz, and I am a Pilates teacher. I mentor other Pilates teachers, and I also am. I call myself a serial entrepreneur because I've been a business owner since. I mean, it's been over a decade now and basically my whole adult life. Um, So I have an online coaching business for movement teachers that are looking for more fulfillment and authenticity and freedom in their teaching. And you're in San Diego, is that right? I'm in San Diego, California, yes. Um, So, all right, so from stuck to living your dream life, so what are the symptoms of stuck? How can, how can I tell if I'm stuck? <laughs> oh, yes. So unfortunately, maybe not unfortunately, because it's really helped me help so many other teachers with this, but I have lived this myself. So I know this um, story so well. Um, I remember really checking all the boxes, right? I went through my comprehensive training. I, I did the boutique studio thing. I started my own home studio. Um, I was voted best Pilates instructor in a couple of different towns three years in a row. Like I did it all right. And I, I felt like this is it, right? Like this is it. I did all the things. Um, and I'm just feeling like there's something missing. Um, I remember just waking up in the morning and having this feeling of dread in my stomach because I had these early morning sessions and I, I love teaching, but there was this like shadow to it. There was like something that just wasn't quite right. So 
I just remember waking up with dread in my stomach, almost feeling guilty, like I should be grateful for having my own business and having these great loyal clients. But why was I feeling this discontentment? Um, I remember, you know, every hour of my sessions being like, okay, just two more hours, one more hour, then I can take a nap. I was always just so tired and I would turn into like, I called a Pilates zombie. Uh, after I was done teaching, I was just so exhausted, expending so much energy. And I had this moment where I was like, is this it for me? Like, is that, did I hit my peak? Is this what, what I've been building up to? And I just wasn't satisfied with that answer. Um, so I actually sat out, sought out coaching and uh, realized that while I loved teaching, this shadow that was kind of hanging over it was because I wasn't teaching in a way that really aligned with who I am and what I wanted. And so going through that clarity process was huge. Um, so, you know, going back to that's a little bit of my story. Some of the symptoms is feeling what I call twired after teaching. So you're you're super wired and on because you've been around people all day, but you're also exhausted and you just, you know, you don't want to talk to your family when you get home. Um, having like these existential, existential thoughts come up in the middle of the night, like, you know, hit you and wake you up alert at three in the morning. Like, is this, is this my life? Is this what I'm doing? Um, constantly seeking out like more and more trainings, like looking for the next thing that's going to finally be the thing that's going to make you feel a certain way. It never does, unfortunately. Usually it feels exciting when you go through it. And then after, after you just start feeling the same way again. Um, so those are some of the things I remember feeling that caused me to just really reevaluate my approach to how I was doing things in my business and my teaching, um, and in my life in general too, because they all overlap. Mm. Well, I've actually experienced most of those things you described as yeah. well. Um, I think something that I see a lot and that I've ex I experienced from time to time as well is overwhelm. Like people know it's, it's a little bit different to what you described where it's, it's not that like I'm, you're sitting there going like, Oh, is this all there is? It's like, Actually, I know this isn't all there is, and I know what I want, mm. and I want something different, but I don't even know where to start. I wouldn't even know mm. where to start thinking about where to start. You know, like I want to, I want to start my own business, or I want to, um, you know, work from home, or I want to start an online thing so I can travel the world, or whatever it might be. Um, I want to, I want to increase my income in my own business. Um, I want to feel confident with you know, teaching clients with certain, you know, certain particular clients, older clients or clients with injuries or whatever it is. And so people have a clear sense of what they want to be different, but they have no, not clue number one about where to start. And it just feels super overwhelming because there's a, a thousand and one sort of, the, you know, social media posts, checklists, courses, certifications, books, things like, you know, where do you start? And so I feel like a lot of people um, come to me expressing that overwhelm. You know, basically I have this little questionnaire that I, I send people through when when we start coaching, and you know it says asks like you know where are you at, what where would you like to be at, what do you see as the big blockers, what do you hope I can help you with those kinds of questions, and a lot of the time the blocker is I just don't know where to start. I feel overwhelmed. Yeah, yeah, that's. Yes, so relevant. And I've also worked with a lot of people who 
know what they want or need to do, but they're just stuck. They, they're just like, how do I put my first or that first step down? Right. How do I do that? Um, also on the flip side, I've worked with people where they're just, they know that there's something else, but they don't know what it is. They don't know if they want to start an online business that kind of freaks them out. They don't know if they need to quit their studio job. And so that too, both of those things feel equally yucky, mm, mm. <laughs> but sometimes it's just that it's like, this isn't it, but I don't know what it is. And mm. a lot of times what I've found is when people think they know what the answer is, it's, it's actually not that. Like if you ask them, well, why do you want to start an online business? Then you start to get some truth into what their motivations are. But a lot of times it feels um, maybe like a pressure thing or, well, this is what this person told me I should be doing, even if it doesn't quite sit well in their body. Like maybe logically that's the thing that they're supposed to do, but there's some kind of like um, conflict there inside of them or they're not quite really sure. So there's two sides of that for sure um, that I've experienced with my own clients. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's something we'll probably get into later around um, yeah. shoulds, uh, you know, yes. like basically building up <laughs> your career because you think that's the, the next thing, like that's what everyone expects you to do or, you know, that's kind of the done thing. Um, I think also that sort of within what you've described, there's also uh, when I think people, and, and I was definitely in this in this boat, people can create this uh, a situation for themselves, whether they're they're working at a studio, seeing private clients at home, whether they have their own studio, where they basically you start to dislike and resent your clients mm -hmm. because you've said yes to things that you really should have said no mm -hmm. to and you've taken on clients that weren't a good fit. Um, and, yeah, you basically get – you start to feel like a bad person because you like – you resent these people you're supposed to be helping. Yes. <laughs> and you think, oh, that does that make me a real thing? Yeah. Does that make me a bad person? But uh, so I think that's also, I mean, that's to do with should, it's to do with boundaries, it's to do with consciously creating, you know, the the situation that you want. And I, I think we're going to get in, into all of that. But I think that's, that's a big one. I think um, just basically feeling like you've created a millstone around your own neck and it's like, well, I don't have anyone to blame except for myself because I'm the one that took on that client and I'm the one that, you know, started that business <laughs> and I'm the one that said yes to that cover, you know, to that sub. But yes. it's like, yeah, you still feel cranky about it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's something to be said about early on in your career, it's normal to experiment. Like you should expect to do that and work with a wide variety of clients in different formats and really see what you like and what you don't. You you don't know what that is until you actually do it. And then as you get further along, and I think this is probably the teacher we're speaking to most is you've been there, done that. And now you need different solutions to yeah. some of the symptoms that you're feeling, right? It's like, it's not going to be from more and more experimentation. Now it actually is going to cause you to refine down and right. get clear more on yourself. And that's when you really step into that next level of your teaching. Mm. All right. So let's get into uh, your process because you walked me through your process before off air and um, you've got this really, <laughs> a really cool framework. So um, it's a four-part framework and uh, yeah, walk us through part one 
And well, firstly, what's the framework for? And, and then walk us through part one. Yeah. So this framework is truly takes you through the process from being stuck and feeling unclear and murky to living your best life as a teacher, which is going to filter into other areas of your life. So if you're at that place where either you're like, I know what I need to do, but uh, I'm just so overwhelmed and I'm stuck. Or if you're just like, this ain't it, but I don't know what is, this is the process that you want to go through to get that clarity and then start um, really deliberately creating your life and your career. That's what it is. I think a lot of these decisions like you know, the Saturday subs and taking on clients, it's just this very default um, kind of passive way of going through life and teaching. And this, this really teaches you the process, the skills that you need in order to create a deliberate life. And the people that are living their best life are creating, they're deliberately and intentionally making decisions that work for them. Mm. Um, so that's what this four-step process will take us through. Okay. Hit us with step one. All right, let's do it. So step one is to really go back within yourself and and get to know yourself. And it sounds so simple and so, I don't know, so basic, but you would be surprised at how many people <laughs> skip this step. Um, and it, it's it's something where we all feel like, well, of course I know myself. I live my life. I know who I am. But when you start asking the deeper questions, sometimes it can be really challenging to articulate it. And I think that being able to even articulate it is so empowering because then you have something to work with. It's not just this idea up somewhere in your head or you know some pattern or memory you can look at, but you actually have something that is, is really usable. And that's one thing I love to do with my own clients is like, let's get this information and then let's do something with it and actually turn it into something that is actionable. And that's where you'll really get the results. So in order to do that, we have to go through this, this first step here. So I am of a big belief, and I've said this a couple of times already, that there's really no separation between yourself personally and your teaching. And that you as a teacher is just really an extension of the rest of your life. And it's we're in a really unique industry because we are our business. We are our brand. We are, right? Like we're showing up as us. And so um, unlike doing maybe like uh, some kind of tech job where you're signing in from eight to five, doing some kind of role and then you sign out and then you go back to your personal life. We don't have that. There's very blurred lines there in our teaching. Um, so with that being said, in order to get more clarity on your teaching, you have to really get clear on yourself. So what I mean by that is, is understanding your value system. What kind of values do you live your life by? And what's most important to you? Um, what are some of your gifts, these natural gifts that are intrinsically part of you. And whether you try to or not, they always show up in your teaching. So for example, myself, I'm very empathic. And so that always comes through in my teaching. And I just notice those little subtle things about my students, even if they're not verbally telling me anything, I can just sense things. That's you know what's going on with them. And that's a huge gift. And I use that in my teaching all the time. I teach in my coaching. Um, 
knowing and understanding your why, your purpose. Why are you teaching? Like really your deep, deep why, not the surface level to help people. Well, why? Why do you want to help people? Why do you want to do that? Why do you want to do that? And keep peeling back the layers of that. Um, so those I, are some of just, the things. Can yeah. I jump in on the, on the gifts yeah. thing? Um, that I, th- I reflect on this, you know, fairly regularly. And I, th- I think one of the things about identifying your own gifts is sometimes it can be really difficult because the things that you're naturally good at just feel natural. And it just feels like, well, of course I can, you know, sense people's, you know, mood or, or whatever. It's like, well, can't everyone do that? It's like, yeah, no, nah, not everyone can do that. Of course mm-hmm. I can, of course I can, you know, calculate square roots of prime numbers in my head. Can't everyone do that? You know, like, so the things that, that we're good at naturally often just feel like so boring and mm-hmm. because they're boring to us because we're good at them, <laughs> but to right. a lot of other people, it's not boring at all. So I think it's, it can be really good if you can't, if you're kind of sitting there going, oh, what are my gifts? What are my strengths? Ask somebody else, ask somebody who's near and dear to you, somebody who has experienced your teaching, um, uh, and, and ask them to just write out a list of bullet points for you. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Often it can be hard to see from, from within your own, um, frame of reference. Yeah, that's absolutely with the gifts. It's so nice to ask other people outside of yourself because it is so hard sometimes to identify that within ourselves. And then when other people say it, it's like, oh yeah, that's so clear, but to hear other people say it feels different. Um, And I would add to that, even asking people that you know in different contexts of your life. So ask your students, but ask some of your close friends, ask your colleagues, um, ask your family, right? So you can get, and then you'll start to see these common themes between all of these different separate groups of people because you can't help but be who you are, right? (laughs) It just comes out naturally. So that's a really great way to like truly see mm, some of those gifts that come out without you even being aware of them is by asking different groups of people. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I've done this a couple of times recently and both times been surprised by the answers. I, I polled my Instagram followers six months ago and in a story just said, okay, why do you, why do you follow me? And I got like 150 odd responses and something like 140 of them use the the phrase no BS in mm. in somewhere. <laughs> Apparently that's a thing. And I, I never use that phrase to describe myself. I never write it in my posts or anything like that. But yeah, just it's that's apparently that's what people see when they when they read my content. And so that that's been really helpful to me in in terms of or just in terms of um conceptualizing the value that I bring. It's like okay what what do people value, you know, that I, that I can do better or different to anyone else. And yeah, that's, that's a big part of it. Just no BS is the facts. Um, yeah, yeah. it's so true. So often, yeah, yeah. Often, often I think you, you, it, it's not necessarily that you, you won't see it, but it's like often I think it can be surprising for people when, what people, what, what others see in them. It's very illuminating. I remember going through that where asking my Instagram audience and some of my friends and colleagues and family, and it was very illuminating to see what people thought of me because we don't, I don't know. I don't know about you, but I've, I've never really thought to ask that to people that I know. 
Um, so it gave me a lot of information about myself or I guess confirmation where I'm like, oh yeah, I could definitely see that being true, even though it's just my own lived experience. So I don't pay much attention to it. Having someone acknowledge it um, gives you a lot of information. So mm. yeah. Mm. So what about this, uh, your why? Okay. So, you know, how, how, if I want to sort of sit down myself and figure that out, like, what do I do? Yeah. So I see this process of finding your truest why, like peeling back the layers of an onion. So if I were to ask you, why do you teach? And whatever that first answer is, it's usually our most surface level answer. So um, from there, you want to ask why again. So whatever is true for that, ask yourself why again. Whatever is true for that, ask yourself why again. Go like three to five layers deep and see if you can really get to the core of it. And what I found that is so interesting is my why, and this is how I know this is truly my why, because it has not changed for years. So regardless of when I was just teaching Pilates to the general public, to then working with teachers and doing more mentoring, Regardless if I'm working with teachers in a coaching format or my Pilates students, my why is actually the same for both, but the way that I'm supporting them is packaged differently. So I went back, um, I have so many journals and notebooks of just, you know, all of my, everything that I've learned over the last several years with working with coaches in my business, my own personal journaling practice. I love flipping through that. So fun. But I found my very first why from several years ago when I went through this practice. And I'm like, holy cow, that is exactly my why now that I've come up with recently as I've gone through that process with a different group of people, with teachers. Um, So that is why you want to go to that deep layer because sometimes how it's our why is expressed on the surface level in the context of teaching, it actually limits us to, to then maybe supporting a different type of client or um, working in a different context, like me moving from teaching to coaching, right? Um, but it's still true at its core, which is so cool. Hmm. Uh, would you would you be comfortable sharing what that is? Yeah. So my why at its very deepest level is to empower other people with resources, with confidence, with the belief in themselves that they can make decisions to really live their best life possible. I've seen so many people, whether again, it's my Pilates clients or teachers that I coach where they are stuck in this like purgatory of like indecision, of of obligation, of people pleasing, of really living like um like a muted version of themselves, a diluted version of themselves. And I am very much of the belief that everybody is so much more capable than they give themselves credit for. And so I see myself almost like um I don't know, the the person that allows them to see that within themselves, but I'm not doing it. I'm just kind of showing them the way and empowering them to do that themselves. And I've seen it with my Pilates clients where, you know, I teach my almost 80 year old grandma Pilates on FaceTime once a week. She's sitting there holding her plank for, you know, a minute 
And she's about to turn 80. And it's like, she never would have thought that she could hold a plank that long, but she does. And it's because I believed in her. And I'm like, no, you can do this. And we built up to it over time and everything. And we add five to 10 seconds every time, you know, um, same thing with my, with my teacher coaching clients, teachers that have felt so stuck and they, you know, feel like they could never start a business or never move online. And then they do. And it's not really anything I did. They did it all themselves, but I'm there to support them through that process. So looks very different holding a plank and starting an online business. But at the core of it, I'm, I'm really helping them do the same thing. Yeah, it's, it's interesting what you say because there are very big parallels there with, with what I do. And uh, just in terms of teaching, the literature on teaching um, and, and what, what uh, the, the most powerful things that enhance learning, uh, the number one thing is the teacher. Um, mm-hmm. So, and, and we're talking like whether this is in a university or a secondary school or primary school, kindergarten, whatever, the teacher is the most influential force, not the curriculum, not the funding of the school, not the, um, you know, educational design, not class size. You know, the, the most important influence on uh, student achievement is the teacher. And uh, one of, if not the most important things that a teacher can do to influence student learning is have high expectations. So um, mm-hmm. basically um, expect that everybody is capable of and deserves a steep learning curve. You know, so just because you've been stuck here for the last 10 years doesn't mean you can't get unstuck, you know, like we that's yeah. possible. And so uh, it becomes to a large extent kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy in education. So when teachers view a particular student as, you know, not very gifted, they tend to give that person, you know, less challenging tasks and less useful feedback and spend less time with them. Whereas when they see a student as, you know, capable of great things, they do the opposite. You know, give them more fe- more useful feedback, you know, spend more time on them, give them more challenging things to do. And, and of course, then that student actually improves more. But it's not because yeah. they were inherently more gifted necessarily. It's because they're getting better quality teaching. And so the first, the, you know, the first rule of teaching club is, you have to assume that every student is capable of a steep learning curve. And so I think that's what you just articulated, you know, with your, with your attitude. Um, Yes. I think that's, that's, that's really, really valuable. I think the second thing that I want to just tease out there a little bit is that what you said, you know, you didn't, you didn't do it. They did it. And I think that's, that's entirely true. That's the same with, with teaching to a large extent, but um, you know, I think with, with coaching that, you know, my experience is a lot of the time people come and they actually already know what they need to do, mm-hmm. you know, but it's, it's just too scary or they're yeah. embarrassed or they, for some other reason, they need permission. And, yeah. you know, so, and so really what they just need is somebody that they trust and look up to to go, yeah, it's okay for you to do that. Go ahead and yeah. do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, can you imagine? starting to teach a Pilates class without having gone through teacher training. Like it, we think if you look at it in that context, if someone wants to start a business or do, it's like, would you ever do that without support? Like that would be crazy. Right. But for whatever reason, we think that we have to, I don't know, look, look it up online ourselves and figure it out all ourselves when we are meant to be supported and to support each other. 
I, I truly believe that like as, as human beings, as social creatures, like we, we need to be supported and we also need to support others. And I think um, that goes back to like, I'm not doing anything for them. You know, people have to be motivated to do something themselves, but just the act of having someone that like has your back and believes in you does so much more than like you said, any kind of curriculum or um, I don't know, like if you're taking an online course, you have all the information for you. Say you're taking a course on offer creation, you know, every single step-by-step thing. Why don't you do it? Right. It's like there's something else. It's not a lack of information. It's not a lack of capability. There's something else there. And sometimes it just takes another person being there that you feel safe with to help you actually implement. So yeah. I've seen that over and over for sure. Yeah. Um, all right. So now we know ourselves. We know what our values are, what's important to us. We know, uh, you know what our gifts are and our why. Okay, so mm-hmm. what's what's step number two in your process? Yeah, so step two is where we get into some of the like, I don't know, some of the evaluation, discerning. So this is where you really need to take inventory of your current situation. So basically what you've uncovered by really getting to know yourself, being able to articulate it and understand yourself, that alone is huge. That is of huge value. Um, and then you you can use it almost like a guidepost for now making decisions moving forward. So the first thing we can do is look at what's happening right now. And just in the context of teaching, let's say, what does my schedule look like right now? Um, What kinds of clients am I working with? How much money am I making? These are all more of the surface level things that, you know, they're important. They are important. Um, And then going into deeper layers too of that, like, do I feel at peace more than I have anxiety in my life? Am I feeling fulfilled? Sure, I have all these things. Am I feeling fulfilled? Do I feel resentful? Um, what kinds of clients am I feeling really energized after I work with them? Who am I feeling drained and why? Right? So you start to kind of gather this information and take inventory of your situation. And then you're using what you've just uncovered, getting to know yourself to then discern what's going on and to kind of make sense of it. Can I uh, add in there that I think a lot of people self-edit at this stage, like because maybe there's that, you know, because often our feelings aren't dichotomous, right? They're not black or white. They're Mm -hmm. like, okay, there are things I like about working with this person, then there are things that kind of shit me about working with this person, you know? Yeah. Um, and maybe there, um, so, so we sort of feel like maybe a bad person for saying, you know what, I don't like working with this client, you know, like I don't want to work with this client anymore, but there's, she's so lovely and she's so grateful mm-hmm. and she's always has a smile and, you know, she, you know, she's referred so many people and she always pays on time, like all of these good things. Yeah. But she complains all the time and she's, you know, whatever the other things are that annoy you about that person that drain your energy, you know, maybe it's just the fact that that person's super extroverted and expects you to be like extroverted with them and you're an introvert, you know, yeah, <laughs> maybe yeah. like whatever, whatever, it might not be a fault on their part, but what I think, um, you know, I, I have experienced a lot when uh, I actually, this happens with my wife 
a lot. Uh, when we, when we, um, are going, say, choosing somewhere for dinner, I'm like, oh, you know, do you feel like Italian food tonight? And she's like, oh, yeah, I could do Italian food. I'm like, yeah, that doesn't sound like you're like really excited about it. Or if I say, oh, what food do you want? And she'll be like, oh, you know, we could do Italian food. I'm like, you know, what, but what do you really want? You know, what would give you yeah. the greatest joy? And she's like, oh, you know, Mexican or whatever, you know, <laughs> and it's, it's like, so I think, you know, I think what happens in her brain is she, even before she asks the question of what do I really want, she sort of filters it through, you know, what do I really want within the subset of things that I think Raf wants, you know, so basically yes. I want to, she wants to accommodate me. Okay. So within accommodating me, what does she really want to do? You know, whereas yes. what I'm asking is like, you know, fuck what I want, you know, what do you want? You know, what do you want? <laughs> And so I think that that often this can help. This can happen just even just when we're just in a monologue inside our own brain, is we think, okay, you know, let's take inventory of my clients and which ones I enjoy working with and and whatever. It's like, well, there might be things about that person that you enjoy, and they might be a lovely human being, but you just might not want to work with them, and that's okay. Yes. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you said that. I think. Oh yeah, I think this is very common with women. And then also just in the service industry in general, where we're, you know, we're of service, we're helping others is that we end up making decisions based on what, like you said, what we think the other person wants or needs or what's going to make them feel good. And then what happens is you just start to get, I used the word diluted earlier, like so diluted because you start to lose really who you are and what you want. and. Um, I think what happens is there's at a certain point you're teaching the, the switch flips and, and not for everybody, but for people that really want to live this really aligned, amazing life, this has to happen. This, this, um, switch has to flip is we are setting our schedule to work for other people. We set our rates to what we think other people will pay. We take whoever wants to be on our schedule. We sub, we do all the things that we actually don't want to do. And it's okay again in the beginning to like get your feet wet and figure out what works for you and what doesn't. Um, you can't replace that experience of going through that process. But then eventually it does have to switch to then, okay, what works for me? How do I want to set my schedule? How much money do I really want to be making in order to live the lifestyle I want to live? Um, I'll give you an example. For me, like I, I don't like teaching early mornings. I actually set my first appointment at 11 a.m. And my mornings are for me. So I take the dog for a walk. I sit my coffee. I do my morning routine. I do, you know, sometimes I'll do some behind the scenes stuff. But I don't like seeing people till 11. I did not have the courage to block off my mornings until really fairly recently because I thought, oh, well, everybody wants the early mornings, you know, 7, 8, 9 a.m. Those are like prime time. I should be working at those times and I'm not and nothing happened. My clients are like, okay, either it's not aligned and they find someone else or my clients change their schedule to fit with what works for me. So I'm not saying that process is easy, but what I find is helpful to, to make that switch is to do like little baby steps. Um, so for, I'm using the example of the schedule, but 
if you don't like working split shifts, like in the morning and the evening, just pick one evening that you're going to take out and, and maybe you still have a couple evenings on your schedule. That's fine. But just do little baby steps until you start to tighten it up a little bit. That can feel um, a little safer to some people instead of just doing some big like, oh my gosh, I just took inventory. Everything's out of alignment. This sucks and having to do like some kind of big overhaul. Um, but it is so common that we tend to filter what we want based on what we think other will work for other people. Um, I'll tell you on the other side of things, you can find people that actually want what you want and that are willing to to do what you want to do. And sometimes it does require some shedding and that's okay. Um, I think we take it so personally because we're in a personal business where we have relationships with our clients. And so for whatever reason, it feels personal. I feel bad that I don't like working with this person or this person didn't come back. So they must not like me. But if we can take that personal piece out of it and just let it be what it is, it just frees up. Oh my Mm. gosh. It takes so much pressure off. I think that is such, such an important thing. Um, something that, that I have struggled with in the past and that I see a lot of people, you know, I coach struggle with is uh, I love my client, the idea, I, I love my clients. Actually, there's nothing I dislike about working with my clients. I love all mm-hmm. my clients. I don't want to not work with any of them, but I don't want to work mornings anymore or yeah. I don't want to work weekends anymore or, you know, whatever it might, or I want to put my prices up or, you know, whatever. So I might lose some or all of them, right? More likely yeah. you'll lose like 10% of them. Um, but, but this, you know, I have this great relationship with my clients. I don't want to lose, lose them. And, and I think, well, you know, that's a true and valid thing, but it's like, there are freaking seven and a half billion people in the world. You know, there are other lovely clients that you will attract, you know, at your new evening work times or for your higher prices or for your, you know, (laughs) non-weekend sessions or whatever it might be. And they will be just as lovely. You know, and you will form just as, you know, just as close and, and valuable relationships with those people because you've formed yeah. relationships with these clients, not because they're incredible and special, but because you're incredible and special and you've attracted people who, you know, who vibe with, with you, you know? So it's like, yes. yeah, there's, there's a bazillion more clients where those ones came from. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a limiting mentality, but it's very common. Like a lot of, and it's just kind of that scarcity thing. That's very common and normal, but to be able to switch out of that and have that perspective of like, there are so many other people and I'm actually by keeping this like tight, like, no, 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 it has to be this way. And these people at these times and this price, like you're limiting yourself so much. And there's this whole other pool of people that are up in this other space that are going to actually fit you better. So you're holding yourself back. By being afraid to make those choices. And um, what was I going to say about that? I had another thought, but I'm, I might loop back to it. It's it's really easy to see that when it's in, a, you know, well, like most things, it's really easy to see things in other people, you know, first, you know, pick the, the log out of your own eye before you, you know, <laughs> talk about the most. Yeah, yeah, eye. yeah. But, um, it, you know, like if, well, I'm thinking about um, my, my daughter and, you know, people with kids maybe can relate that it's, you know, for my daughter, she's 15. And so the, the absolute most important, probably the only important thing for her in life right now are her friends, right? So she's got like a dozen people that just like are the moon, the stars and the planets for her. And she couldn't care less about schoolwork or any other done, you know, thing. Um, 
And, you know, it's inconceivable to her that she could ever be friends with any other different people, you know, as closely as she's friends with with her current friends. But, of course, if she moved schools next year, within six months she'd be, you know, have just as great of a social group and whatever because she's a gregarious sort of a person, whatever. And as as an outsider looking in, it's really easy to see that. Right. You can just go, oh, well, you know, do you think these are the only 12, you know, friendly teenagers in the world, you know? <laughs> that you, yes. you could, It's like, no, yeah. I think there are other people you can be friends with. But for her, it's like it's inconceivable that she she could ever, you know, find anyone, you know, better than these people who just happened to be in her class at school. What are the chances that the only 12 people she could ever be friends with in the entire world happened to be in her class at Fitzroy High School, you know, <laughs> like, and yeah, I think it's yes. the same for us. Like, well, what are the chances that the only only ten clients you could ever work with just happen to be the ones you have right now? You know, <laughs> yes, yeah, and just look, viewing your clients that you've had, it's like they're a gift, and sometimes it's kind of silly to think that people are going to be lifelong clients anyway. That's not usually how most relationships work. Um, you know, it's okay to accept them as a beautiful gift at the time that they were your client and you learned a lot from them and they learned a lot from you. And when it's time to release and you know that because you're having these feelings of like, oh, I really don't want to work at this time or this isn't feeling, that's your sign, right? That's your sign. And so by not releasing them, you're actually, I don't know, stifling yourself. Um, And him probably. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, what if there's a more aligned teacher for them too and you're holding your client back? What if there's a teacher who loves teaching them at 7 a.m., you know? Yes, exactly, (laughs) exactly, exactly. I know, it's so true. And it has to be, I think the difference too between this old way of things where it's like I have to accommodate people at the time that works for them, when it works for them, is is, – then flipping the switch to now you kind of taking ownership is like you start to attract people that actually want the price point you have and the times that you're teaching and all of those things. And by holding on to the old stuff, it really is not letting you move forward into what you're now, what now works for you. And it's okay that it worked for you then and it doesn't now. And my mentality too is like, um, you're, you're either, if you're afraid you're going to let a client down, like, oh, I have to let go of this client because it doesn't fit with my schedule. You're, you're letting someone down. You're either letting your client down or yourself down. And your client will generally, you know, get over it and find someone else, or you can refer them to someone else. For you, it actually might have a lot deeper implications. So this might be affecting, your relationships at home. It might be affecting your stress levels and your sleep and all of these things. And so you have to then decide, you know, what's more important. And I think for the people that really want to step into this next version of themselves, they have to make some of those hard choices. This is not like, I'll say this, this path to living your best life. It's not all daisies and roses. There's a lot of hard decisions that have to be made. Um, and that's just part of the process. And that's why some people don't go through this process and they'll kind of stay stuck in that, the hamster wheel. Um, and that's fine for some people. That's totally fine. But for the people that know, like we were talking about earlier, like they know there's something else there that doesn't cut it. And so you have to learn how to, I don't know, tolerate discomfort and go through some of these uncomfortable conversations and let people down. That's just part of it, unfortunately. It is. It is. And uh, I've discovered, you know, repeatedly that 
success, happiness, fulfillment, freedom lie on the other side of just a very few uncomfortable conversations. Yeah. It's never as bad as we actually think it is. And every time you do it, you're able to handle more of it. And it's, I see everything like in opposites. So the more successful you are, the more failure you have to go through and tolerate. Um, The more influential you are, the more judgment you have to go through, right? It's like they always come in opposites. And so if you want, like the more elevated you're making your life, understand that there's going to be challenges and healing and uncomfortable things that you have to do in order to get there. And it's just all, it's really beautiful. I, I like, I wouldn't change the process for anything because I've learned so much about myself going through those challenges. I wouldn't change it, but it's, it's definitely not fun and easy sometimes. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we've taken inventory and we've, we've been brutally honest with ourselves mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. around what, what brings us like we've Marie Kondo'd our our professional life, right? What brings yes. us joy, yes. and what does not bring us joy, and and it's okay if something brought us joy in the past and no longer brings us joy, and yeah. we can celebrate we can celebrate that, but we don't need to hang on to it. And so, if something brings us joy, we we keep keep doing it. And if something's not bringing us joy, then what do we do? You know, what's the next step? Yeah. So, and I'll preface the next step by saying this too, taking inventory on its own is very empowering. And even if you're not ready, like you're like, I can tell this person's online, I'm not quite ready. That's okay too. But what's changed is now you're making an intentional decision about it instead of just a kind of a default, like feeling victim to what's going on around you. So even if you say, even though this isn't quite working, I'm still choosing this because I'm, you know, I'm not ready to have this conversation. That's actually great. That's, that's, yeah, that's great that's, because that's you're progress. being intentional. Yeah, yeah, it's progress. Absolutely. Okay. So, so you've taken inventory. Next thing is. Uh, sorry. In, sorry. Oh, yes. Can I, can I just jump in there? This happens yeah. to me all the time. And I, so I can only assume it happens to most of other people all the time is that like, there are certain things that. I know I need to act on like there, you know, maybe a client I know I need to fire or, you know, some uncomfortable conversation I need to have with a team member or, you know, whatever it is that I just, I put it off, you know, think, oh, manana, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I know I need to do mm-hmm. that. Like, but it's like, oh, do I have to do it today? No, I could, I can afford to leave it till manana. And these things, but they, they, they kind of eat you up. You know, like they, they always niggle oh, there and, yeah. and they don't give you peace. You know, you can never be truly, I find anyway, I can never be truly at peace when I know it's like, oh, I've got this thing hanging over my head that I know I've got to do. I've got to face that music at some point. And I know I'm just like sticking my fingers in my ears and pretending it's not, <laughs> not there. Yeah. Um, but I th- I'm pretty sure we all have things like that in our professional life, whether it's, you know, how much we're charging or, you know, saying yes to subs that we don't want to do or clients that we know we don't want to work with or having that boundary conversation with a coworker or about who doesn't clear up the studio after themselves, whatever it might be. There's basically mm-hmm. something that, that we're, that we're tolerating because it, we don't want to go through the discomfort of not tolerating it. Yes. It's like procrastination is an avoidance of something uncomfortable, whether it's 
potential rejection or conflict or whatever it is. It's like we we like dance around the thing that we know we need to do. So I know that's so common. And that actually is really a beautiful tie into what we're going to talk about next is it's so simple to say, well, just do it, right? So why don't we do it? And a lot of times we're not prepared to do the thing we have to do because at a, a, I guess, a brain level, we know what has to be done, but our bodies are not on board. So one of the things you want to do before you take, whether it's a small action step or a big thing, like letting go of a client or have, you know, like starting a business, whatever it is, is to, to really resource yourself with tools and skills so that you can handle these uncomfortable things, these risks. Um, you can handle failing. You can handle uncomfortable conversations. Like that is, I would say... That is one of the biggest keys that is missing for so many people is they're not resourced in order to handle these things. And so people, like you just said, it's like we dance around discomfort. If you if you can change your relationship with fear and discomfort, you can do anything. That is like the number one thing I would say that holds most people back um, from putting themselves out there and doing what they really want to do. So One of the things that I love teaching my clients, and I've gotten so much feedback about this over the years, is is learning how to to work with your body and your nervous system to help you go through those uncomfortable things without sending you into like an anxiety frenzy. Um, I think it's important to remember the people that you admire that are successful, that you look up to, that seem like they have it all together. It's not that they're lacking fear. That's not what it is. It's that they have learned how to kind of transmute that relationship with fear into something else. And so regardless if someone is super successful, it's not like they're immune to that. We all feel we're all human. We all have the same feelings. Um, But if you can learn how to overcome that, that is huge. And so that's what I focus on a lot with my clients is, is, Going back to the self inquiry, like what are the what are some of the limiting beliefs that you're having about yourself or this thing? So a lot of times we have these you know these old stories in our heads, like well I can't do this because of X Y and Z, or I'm not qualified enough to do this, create this online program. We we have these things that are running in our subconscious, and those are the those things will actually dictate your actions, not the thing that you know you need to do. Um, so just being honest with yourself that way and learning how to clear and work through some of that stuff. And that's going into more like, um, I use some like energetic practices with my clients. Um, you know, even journaling, doing release work, stuff like that can be really valuable to help clear and kind of reframe those stories or write a new story. Um, one of the things I love to do with, uh, and you'll like this, Raph, with with these old stories is like looking for evidence uh, that the opposite is true. So it's like I, I've told I myself the right. story I that, that I, yeah, yeah, that I'm not qualified and that I'm just a fraud and blah blah blah. I'm like, oh wow, I just just today I've gotten two posts from two of my old clients that I worked with years ago saying how much they, you know, I've helped them. It's you know, so it's like looking for evidence that the opposite is actually true. Mm-hmm. That's another way I like to do that too, that where you can feel and see tangible, um, tangible things with it. And it's not just 
I don't know. It's not just something you're thinking or feeling, but you're like, oh no, this is real. <laughs> mm. I do want to challenge you a little bit. And I, I got yeah. I, my sense is that we're going to actually be in furious agreement on this, but I just want to check it out. That where well, you said, like, we all have the same feelings, and people who are apparently sort of successful and happy and well adjusted still feel discomfort and fear and negative emotions. Of course, you know, of course, I agree. That's true, obviously, you know, unless you're the Buddha. You know, maybe the Dalai yeah. Lama. You know, but basically, you know, we all put our pants on one one leg at a time. Um, but I think it is also true that these, you know, things like uncomfortable conversations, like setting boundaries, become less uncomfortable the more you mm-hmm. do them. And yeah. so that for people who do that, do it all the time, it's actually not very uncomfortable to have those honest conversations just because it's a muscle that you've built up by lots and lots of repetitions over time and just you know you build a callus basically it doesn't hurt anymore yeah i i 100 agree with you on that and i think what happens when you do this thing and you build that muscle over time is then you can actually handle more discomfort like on a bigger scale right it actually right. equips you to then do more things so in that sense you're still facing stuff but it doesn't feel as intense like if you you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, if you told me some of the stuff that I'd be doing now, I'd be like, oh, heck no, that's so scary. And oh my gosh. So, and now I'm like, that's just, just not a big deal anymore. Right. But I'm doing, it took me a while to build up to that. So I, I agree with you on that. It's not like it's everyone's shaking in their boots all the time at, at when they're at higher levels. Um, but it does require, you to keep doing it. You know, you have to yeah. keep doing it. Yeah. You can't avoid it. And that's the the thing that, I don't know, once you do it, it doesn't feel as big of a deal as we've built right. up in our head, but actually going for it and letting yourself be uncomfortable. That is something I have practiced so much over the last couple of years is just letting myself be uncomfortable and noticing it and be like, mm, that feels like knots in my stomach right now. But just letting it be what it is, not trying to fix it, not trying to, um, I don't know, not trying to ignore it or fix it or make sense of it, but just let it be what it is and mm. get kind of curious about why it's coming up. That helps a lot too. So um, I'll say this too, going into tools that you can actually and skills you can learn is learning how to work with your nervous system. So one of the things I teach my clients is how to um, downregulate their nervous system. So there's some really simple exercises you can do that can help bring you back into that calm, rest and digest state that really like where you feel grounded and peaceful if you're experiencing stress or anxiety. And it's cool because it's one of those things where over time you actually build a more resilient nervous system. But in the moment, it actually helps you in the moment. It's not like something that takes a while to kick in. So it's a simple way that you can help to resource yourself and handle those uncomfortable situations without feeling like it's so intense. Mm. I think there's a real big parallel with uh, what you said there about discomfort and just sort of sitting in the discomfort Mm -hmm. um, rather than sort of seeking to alleviate it immediately um Mm -hmm. that big parallel with with exercise right like i mean we all Mm, know that when our brand new client beginner comes in for the first day and they do the hundred or whatever and they're like oh this hurts you know it's like yeah that's it's kind of meant to you know that's yeah that's that that means you're doing it right (laughs) um 
And it's like, well, if you, if you exercised with the expectation that you would never experience any discomfort, you know, and adjusted your exercise accordingly, it's like, well, you're not going to get very strong. You know? No, no, you're going to stay ex- totally, yeah. <laughs> and so it's like it's exactly the same in 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 business, in in professional interactions, in human relationships. I think you need to be prepared to go through some discomfort uh, in order to build the muscle of having those conversations or setting those boundaries or or whatever it might be, which really uh, I think you know brings up an important question which is like, okay, well, you have this discomfort or this kind of visceral sense of like, oh, I don't want to have this conversation with this person. <laughs> you know, I don't mm-hmm, want to tell this person mm-hmm. I don't want you to be my client anymore or whatever. Or I'm t- I don't want to tell this person that's been on the same price for the last eight years that I'm doubling my prices or whatever. You know, like whatever. It's like, oh, I've got a gut sense of like, no. Yeah, don't this. do it. Yeah. So so how can <laughs> how can you distinguish between like, this is genuinely against my values versus just yeah. I'm really fucking shitting myself because this is scary. <laughs> you know? Yes. Yeah. To- oh my gosh. I know. Cause so often we feel that fear response and we're like, nope. Like it's just, you know, and if you think of it in the sense of like part of your nervous system job is to keep you safe. Right. So it's like, if you're in a threatening situation, anything that's new, uncomfortable, different, stuff you can't expect, you're going to feel that sensation of being in danger, even if you're not, right? We know by lot or like physically we're safe. Um, so just being able to recognize your signs and, and what I've is part of my own practice and what I teach my teachers too, is being able to discern between those voices. I call it biological fear, which is your nervous system. It's your heart racing. Um, I get like a clench, like right, you know, in my gut, I get a clench. Um, sweaty palms, all of those things. Those are just, bi- that's biological fear and expect that to happen. Again, after you practice this more and more, it's not, it may not be as intense um, as it used to, but expect that that's going to be along for the ride. It just happens. It's just part of our biology. And then you have this other voice, which you could call your intuition, your, you know, your gut feeling, your whatever it is, your higher self. Um, everyone has a different term for that. And that is usually a calmer voice. It's just very neutral. It's just kind of like, this isn't, a, this isn't working or like, you have to let that client go. And it's just very, there's like no emotion behind it. It's just yeah. very factual. And it actually feels calm. Even if then your reaction to that is, oh my gosh, that sounds so scary. But the voice itself is very calm. So you can actually like over time learn to discern between those two voices and know your signs, like know what they both feel like. Um, And you can also develop that quieter voice by doing practices like meditation and even just giving yourself spaciousness. Like at this point in my career, I value space so much just in my schedule and my energy and my physical space. I need space. And with that space and that quietness where I'm not busy, busy and go, go, go all the time, I get a lot more information from um, that, I don't know, that higher part of me that gives that helps me with what I have to do. So those are, you know, you can actually develop that over time with consistent practice. And again, just the awareness of like what biological fear feels like. We've all felt that, you know, that feeling. So go back to teaching your very first group class. I'm sure 
those symptoms that you felt you still experience in different situations now. So know what your signs are, know what those two voices sound like. And then you can very easily discern between what your gut is telling you versus, oh, this is just biological fear. Of course, I'm doing something new and scary. Yeah, I think um, that, that, that I agree with that. And in my experience, just in my own sort of inner world, that uh, intuition voice like you say, it hasn't. It's very neutral emotionally. Mm-hmm. Often for me, it's very quiet as well, and it just kind yeah. of says it says it once, and then there might be all this other hubbub, and there's just one quiet little voice going, "Yeah, I don't think you want to work with this person anymore." But then there's this all this other sort of noise going on. It's very easy to kind of gloss over that little voice, and that's why, like you say, if you if you create a conditions of quiet and and space, you know, it's much easier to to attend to that. In my experience, um, yeah, that something that is uh, you know related, I guess, um, but not not uh, exactly the same is. Um, oh, I'm sorry, it's just I've have had a mental uh, lapse and it's <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> I've had a couple of myself too. Yeah. All right, so let's move on. Um, uh, Oh, so sorry, sorry. Actually, it's come back to me. Um, so this, and again, I observe this in my daughter at the moment, who's fifteen, that she often, you know, is you know, does things the hard way because you know she's only fifteen. She hasn't learned, you know, she hasn't been on the planet enough years to have figured out the easy way to do things. But often, even when you say, "Hey, there's a much easier way of doing this," would you like to know it? And often, the answer is no. And mm-hmm. then when I say like, well, why, why, why aren't you interested in, in doing it an easier way? It's like, oh, because I'm, that's not my thing. You know, my thing is doing it this way, right? So she's kind of got this uh, a sense of her own identity as being a person who does things a certain way. You know, like mm-hmm. I need to look at my phone first thing when I wake up, you know, that helps me wake up. Well, would you be interested in exploring other possibilities? No. Why not? Oh, because that's the way I do it, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that we, you know, what, you, what you're talking about, I'm, I'm not sure if you think of it in these terms, but it seems to me what you're saying is that really, you know, leveling up and finding that that clarity and that sense of purpose and joy in in and freedom in what we're doing really requires to a certain extent sort of sloughing off an old identity and assuming a new identity is like, okay, well, what would the person who has that life and those inner experiences of freedom and joy, you know, what sort of person would have those experiences, you know, and who do I need to become in order to, to have that, you know, and, you know, I mean, it seems pretty obvious to say it's like, well, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're not going <laughs> to, you're not going to get a right, different result, right? right? So right. part part of what you part of what we all do is sort of have some sense of identity, you know, which is tied up in you know many different aspects of of what we do and who we, how we interact in in the world. But you know, thinking of of just you know what you're saying here about. Um, you know, the feeling difference between between fear and sort of your intuition. But also mm-hmm. I think there's another sort of prong of that, another tie-in of that fork, which is your sort of self-identity. It's like maybe you're, you know, you've got sort of 
some a voice that sounds similar to your intuition saying like, oh no, I'm not not the sort of person who, for instance, would let down a client and say, I don't want to work with you anymore, you know, because that's not yeah. who I am, you know. It's like, well, yeah, maybe that's who you need to be if you want to have <laughs> these things that you want to have. Yeah. So what, what are your thoughts yeah. on all of that? Yeah, that's such an interesting point. And how, so that goes back to like, really getting clear on yourself. Is that actually who you are? Or is that something that has a label that's put in, been put on you? Oh, you're so reliable. You're so dependable, but it's like not actually what you want. So I think this whole process requires you to be so honest with yourself, so honest with yourself. And I think just that honesty can eliminate those things of, well, I'm not the person who... And yeah, sometimes you do have to make difficult decisions, but the difference is if you make a difficult decision that's actually in alignment with what you want for your life and who you are deep down at your core, it might feel temporarily uncomfortable, but it's you actually at some level know it's the right thing. Right. Now, if you do something and it's like, mm, this just, ugh, it's not sitting well with me. It's a totally different kind of feeling. And so I'll say this, like this, this stuff doesn't happen overnight. This is a process and it takes mm. consistency to be able to discern between those two voices. For me, it's just like not even a question anymore. It's like, I, I know I, I've been so like, I've been practicing this for so long that it's so clear to me which one it is. But sometimes there's a little bit of a learning curve there, especially if this is like brand new. Mm. So I would say like, you do the best you can with the information and experience you have right now. And then you make a different choice and you make a different choice and different choice. So it's not like, you know, we're even talking about like living your best life. It's not like you arrive at some magical place and it's like, okay, this is it, right? It's a process. But what's cool about this process is that you keep cycling back to it. So you get to the thing that you're excited about. You don't stop there. But there's a difference between like yearning and feeling a lack of something where you're constantly striving for something else or there's some kind of lack in you versus this refinement process mm. where you're not seeking something more or different because you feel like there's some kind of hole there, but because you're getting clearer and clearer and clearer on how you can show up the best for your clients, how you can feel the most fulfilled, how you can have the most energy, live the highest quality of life. So it starts like a lot of times this is like at first kind of a correction that has to happen. Mm -hmm. And then once you're kind of settled into this like new baseline, it's just these little tiny refinements, these little small decisions. I know I kind of went off on a tangent there, but I... I think I just want to say it's a process and like it may be hard to distinguish between those voices at first, but you'll know after you make the decision and it requires mm. you to make the decision sometimes to get that information to be like, mm, that wasn't quite right. Mm, and then mm. you just make a new decision. <laughs> yeah. hundred percent. There's there are three things I want to say to that. Hopefully I'll remember them all. The first one is okay. that you're a hundred percent right. That basically, you know, in my experience, at you, you, as soon as you act on that decision, like, like you say, make the decision, then you'll know. So like, as soon as you have that conversation, you know, if it was right or not, because you, yeah. if it was right, suddenly you feel like, Oh, I'm so much lighter, <laughs> you know, mm, <laughs> straight yes, away. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Away. Uh, yes. I don't have to get up at five o'clock on Tuesdays anymore ever again. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> you know, yeah, totally. Um, 
Um, so you know straight away after you, but you don't know until after you do it. That's the thing. So you just yeah. have to, you just have to go with it. Uh, the second thing is, um, what you said about, um, you know, it's a process, it's not an endpoint. Not, you know, of course you're correct on that. Like there is no magical point where we go, Oh, I'm done. Now my life is perfect. And there is no yeah. further adjustment <laughs> required. But, um, uh, and so, you know, of course it's true that chasing things and achievement doesn't, bring ultimate for you know fulfillment like when you achieve the thing it doesn't you don't suddenly feel fulfilled you know maybe you do mm-hmm. for for a moment you know um but not not long term but uh and i don't think this is dis- this is not really disagreeing with anything you said but i think there's a maybe a, a nuance there which is that you know and this this has been my experience as i grew up the uh, with a single mother in the 1970s we often, you know, didn't have food in the house the last couple of days of the week before the pension check came. And it's, you know, like not a big sob story, but I'm sure a lot of people have experienced similar. Okay. So I've, I've been poor, you know, and now I'm pretty well off. Right. And I'll tell you which one I prefer. <laughs> you know, yeah. I prefer, totally. I prefer having money. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and the research bears that out as well, that, you know, they say money doesn't bring happiness. Actually, it does. It just mm-hmm. it doesn't bring complete happiness. So you know, mm-hmm. if you're making a hundred thousand a year compared to ten thousand a year, you look at a hundred thousand a year. they people; those people on average are happier, right? Yeah. Because you don't have this stress of when you're lining up in the supermarket, not knowing if your credit card's going to be declined or not. You don't have the stress of going, you know, wanting to buy something but not being able to afford it, or going to a restaurant and ordering the cheapest thing on the menu. You know, not the thing that you want. You know, yeah. Um, so, so you don't have these stresses, and so those are very real stresses that you just don't have when you have more money. And so, I think there are other material things. You know that now, now you know that 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 curve that that line is not linear. The relationship between money and happiness. So it's not like the more money you have, the happier you get. Like if you got a billion, yeah, you're not like exactly a billion times happier than if you got one dollar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it does continue up. You know. Uh, at a, at a much shallower curve, um, to it. So basically, you know, the more money you have, the happier you are. But it's like ten times more money equals five percent more happiness, sort of thing. You know, it's right? Like it's, it's, right. It's a shallow curve. Um, but and then the, there are other things that, um, again, you know, things don't sort of give fulfillment and you know ultimate meaning to life. Obviously, but there are certain things, and I know in my own life, certain you know small things that make a massive difference. Like to me. I hate the heat. Like just, I don't know. I've got this stubby Polish potato farmer's body, you know, that <laughs> does not do well in the heat. I'm really good at retaining heat, you know. A yeah. hundred generations before me worked in the frozen potato fields in the tundra of, you know, <laughs> eastern Poland, and that's what my body's designed for. And so I'm like, I can walk around in a T-shirt when it's like 11 degrees Celsius. I'm not sure what that is in Fahrenheit, but it's pretty cold. Yeah, and yeah. quite comfortably, but it's like 20 degrees Celsius, which is like, I don't know, like 70 something in Fahrenheit. I'm sweating yeah. and uncomfortable and anything above that, I'm really in like, you know, a lot of discomfort. And it's like, it's not a big drama in my life or anything. You know, I've got air conditioning and I tell you what, having a car with air conditioning significantly enhances my quality of life, you know? Yeah. So like- Buying a $4,000 car, I don't care if it's got mismatched hubcaps and the paint's scratched and whatever, but if like if it's got air conditioning that works well, bam, 
you know, <laughs> that makes a real, real big difference to me. And I'm sure that for each of us, there are probably certain things in our life that are like fairly everyday kind of humdrum things, but they make a real difference, you know, to, Absolutely. to each of us, you know. So I think there, there are really is, I don't think people should, I don't think there's any, I guess what I want is to encourage, you know, if you're listening, to encourage you to let go of any kind of shame or negativity that you have in your own mind or judge self-judgment if you have a desire for something material, if you want to have money or if you want to mm-hmm, have a mm-hmm. car with air conditioning or if you want to have a coffee machine or if you want to have a new pair of, you know, leggings or whatever. It's like those are legitimate desires and doesn't make you a bad person to want those things. And they probably will bring you some measure of happiness, you know, just not, yeah. they won't bring you fulfillment, you know, Yeah. but you know, it's like, well, if you could, if you could, the things that do bring you fulfillment don't care about your finances. So if you like, if you've got meaningful relationships with, with people you care about and you're making a genuine difference to your clients and you're challenged intellectually and you're growing as a person, well, having a nice pair of leggings doesn't detract from any of that. You know, yeah. So, so you can have. Both. I totally, yeah, absolutely. There's not. I mean, it's silly. I just so I have never felt that way. Like I've never had guilt for like making a lot. Of, I I just don't feel that way. But I know a lot of people do, especially when we're helping people. I don't know. I don't. I understand where they're coming from, but I don't believe it myself. So it's. I don't know, but maybe it's helpful to hear kind of another perspective on that too, where we don't, there's no shame or guilt in wanting nice things. And it's true that money, money gives you choice. It gives you more choice and options. When you have more choice and options, I do believe that can help your quality of life. Absolutely. That is one of my core values is like, I, I deeply crave freedom and autonomy. I like that is a non-negotiable in my life. Hence why I'm self-employed and, you know, I make a lot of all of my decisions based around that. And, you know, money gives you more choice. And it's great to have more choice. I think the problem that some people have is like, well, if I made more money, that would solve all my problems. Right. But the way and I've actually done a lot of healing work around money. Like I have a mentor that I strictly do like money work with because this has been a thing, you know, a theme in my life with just the scarcity mentality and um, the way she explains it, which I love is like, we all have some kind of threshold of where our basic needs are met, like our food, shelter, safety, you know, all of that. And then after you get beyond that threshold, you have some kind of buffer, you know, past that threshold. Then, like you said, more money doesn't mean more happiness. If I have 10 times more money, I'm not 10 times more happy. So I think a lot of people are under the misconception that, well, if I made more money, it would it would just get rid of my scarcity and my fear around spending no, and, and this and doesn't. that. But actually, yeah, whatever your relationship with money is right now, it will be that when you're making a million dollars if you don't do some of that healing work. It's just on a bigger scale. 100%. So like what you were describing, yeah, like where you were, you know, like quite literally didn't have food on the table. That's a whole different story than like wanting to go past your, you know, make 10,000 or 20,000 or whatever per month. Like that's, you know, those are two different scenarios. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, 
I think having things that make your life more enjoyable help you show up better for people and for yourself. And I think like we we should have a high quality of life. I I think we should enjoy our lives and do things that bring us joy and buy leggings that bring us joy and like that's all great stuff and travel and have really great experiences and I find that when I have more choice and more space that way, I'm more creative. I show up better for my clients. I'm more at peace and more happy, but I don't attribute it to having like specific things. It's just the the idea of having choice to me is like that alone makes Mm. me feel that way. Yeah. Um, I think what you said really is summed up by the phrase that, you know, money doesn't solve all your problems, but it solves money problems. You know, money solves money problems, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And to the extent that you solve your money problems, like you have less stress in your life and more freedom and more choice, more options. But like you say, like if you have a scarcity mentality and fear around money, it's like, well, having a million dollars doesn't change that. It means you mm-hmm. have no problem paying your bills anymore, but you can still have a scarcity. In fact, I've I've just come back up from Florida. I literally arrived back in the country yesterday where I was at in Florida for a couple of weeks for a marketing conference. And there were people like, there was a room of 5,000 people there. Most of them are making a million dollars plus a year. And like there were multiple people expressing you know, fear and scarcity mindset. Like they were there to change that. But it's like, well, they've got a million dollars a year. That hasn't solved that for them because it's not exactly. a money problem. It's a mindset problem. Right? So, exactly. So yeah, exactly. money only solves money problems. Uh, but I think, you know, money problems are worth solving. Like I'd rather not have money problems than have absolutely. money problems. Absolutely. Yeah, know? absolutely. And I think, you know, you can work with clients you love and you can charge the rates you want and work on your terms and have that as your reality. Like I like it's okay to have both things. Like you can do things on your terms and make a lot of money doing it. They you don't have to deny yourself of certain things in order to make X amount of money. Mm. There is well, a way to do both. Paradoxically, actually, uh I think you end up making not you obviously, but like the generic you. Um we end up making decisions based around money much more when we don't have money, right? Because you have to say mm-hmm. yes to that client or you have that session exactly. or whatever. Like when you've actually got money, you end up making decisions based on like, well, do I actually genuinely want to work with this person? You know, can I help this person? Exactly. You know, so hence more choice, right? Right. You so it's paradoxical choice, yeah. that, you know, like we have this, I think, cultural meme that, you know, people who have a lot of money are like always thinking about money and doing everything because of money. It's like, it's the, actually, it's the opposite. People who have money don't give a shit. They've got, they've got money. <laughs> you know, you, you exactly. make, you, you make choices based on what you want in your heart because the money's not an issue anymore. You just know you can afford whatever you want. But when you don't have money, you're thinking about money all the time and you're making decisions based on money all the time. So I think, yeah, yeah it's kind of back to front. Um, all right. So good, good talk about money. So, all right. So we, we now have, you know, we've got, we've arrived at this point where we've got a, an honest inventory of, of what's, you know, how our life is and what the mismatch is between what it is and what we want it to be. And, you know, we've got some sense of like, okay, I'm going to have, have to have certain uncomfortable conversations, create certain boundaries, maybe change my prices, maybe, find a new place of employment, whatever, you know, whatever the things are that we need to, to change. And so we've resourced ourselves up, ourselves up in terms of, um, 
uh, you know, learning some skills around nervous system regulation and recognizing the difference between just like the fight or flight reflex versus Mm -hmm. genuine intuition voice versus, and also, you know, in that kind of getting to know yourself section, we've identified, you know, what our current, you know, deep values are and as opposed to kind of our surface um, persona, you know, like I'm the Mm -hmm. sort of person who, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And so now it's the, you know, implementation and and you know rubber meeting the road so we've you know we've we've got all the we've got all the flow charts planned out you know we know exactly what we need need to do so so um i think this is where a lot of people you know fail fail to take action Uh, yes yes so so how do we translate this into (laughs) into actual you know attraction yeah so the last step in this cannot be missed. Like this step has to happen is you have to integrate and take action on all of this wonderful stuff that you've uncovered. If you don't take action, you're just going to stay stuck where you are and maybe even worse off because I know for myself, once I acknowledge that something's not working, if it's, it's almost like denying myself to or betraying myself to not do something about it. Like once I'm, once the lights are on, I can't not do something. So it actually feels worse once I'm aware of it. So this whole process takes a lot of courage because you might uncover some things that are going to feel really uncomfortable to you. Um, And this is where like being well-resourced is, is really helpful because um, um, I lost my train of thought again too. Hopefully you can. Well, we've, well, um, we've got to we've got to assume the identity of the person that we, yes. you know, who who would what who who would the person be or who would I be, you know, to have yeah. this this life these these feelings that I want to have these relationships that I want to have with clients this this impact that I want to have, you know, and we've got to resource up for that and it might you know like we mentioned a couple of things like. You know, regulating your nervous system and recognize the difference between intuition and fear. But I think there are a whole bunch of other skills. There's like, you know, clear, setting clear boundaries and, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. knowing your value and communicating that effectively. And, you know, like there's so many things that might be a necessary part of it, depending on what your particular, you know, goals are that I think, you know, having those resources and a lot of those are involve, um, action, right? So go, Get yeah. the skill, you know, build the skill of having tough conversations. And resourcing yourself, it really happens at the same time as taking action. Right. It's not, it's kind of like if you keep doing a dress rehearsal over and over and over again, but you don't actually, you actually have to do it. Right. So right. these can happen actually simultaneously. You do not have to have every single one of your ducks in a row to take action. And I think that's the thing between that where there's like, I, I've got to have it all figured out. I have to have my whole roadmap right in front of me, that, and then also just the fear component of it, which hopefully with your, you know, your new skills and everything that will help mitigate some of that. But you do not have to have all of your ducks in a row in order to take action. All you need to do is know what that very next step is. I think that's that paralysis where people are like, oh my gosh, I have to now overhaul my schedule and maybe quit at the studio I've been at for a decade and all of this stuff, right? It feels so overwhelming. And so you just get stuck. Like that's my, that's how my nervous system reacts when I feel overwhelmed as I go into freeze. 
<laughs> just get paralyzed. So just taking that next step, that's all you have to do. And that's all you have to know. It's just that next thing. And what happens is by taking action, it's like the next doorway shows up in front of you or the next breadcrumb. And then you do that one. And then the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. So you'll never have it all figured out on the front end. You just don't. That's just not how it works. You actually have to do it. And that's where like being courageous and taking that leap of faith that usually takes uh, that initial leap of faith. And then you start to trust that process over time. After you've done it enough, it's like, okay, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I know that this is the thing I'm supposed to do. And then voila, the next thing appears. Or like, I know, for example, this is something that happened to me. I had um, a client who I just, it was time to let this person go. I wasn't enjoying it anymore. I would find myself like dreading. And it wasn't, again, it's not the person. It's so hard when it's not like a bad person, right? It just was not a good fit. And I was so scared to let this person go, not only to have the conversation, but also because of the money piece. Well, I kid you not, within that week, I had another person on my schedule that filled that time and that space and it was totally fine. So it's like, even if you're like, well, I don't know, you know, how am I going to fill my schedule or what's going to happen next? You don't always have to know that. And that just that trusting yourself and, and trusting the process and that I've always been okay. I'm always going to be okay. That peace of mind is, is huge. And that just comes over time of, of taking leaps of faith um, often enough, I guess, um, is like there is a lot of trust that has to happen in this process and trust not just in yourself, but like in the process as a whole, because again, you don't know all the answers. Mm. Um, so can I just jump in there? This, I want to uh, double click on that and go back to something that you mentioned earlier, where like at the start of your career, you know, it is good and necessary to kind of, build up that diverse experience and basically mm -hmm. say yes a bunch and do subs and, you know, do all the things and probably charge lower prices and be less picky about who you work with because at the start of your career, you kind of suck, right? You're not, you don't have the skills yet, right? To, you, you're not worth that much yet, right? And you don't There's have that There's a process experience. for sure, yeah. Right. And yeah. so you, you were, you, you were, you accrue that experience and those skills by working with a diverse range of people and working in different studios and, you know, doing, saying yes to all the Saturday morning subs and doing all the things. And then at some point you realize, oh, actually I am good now, you know, and I can, mm -hmm. you know, I, I can charge more and I can be more picky and I can be more, you know, uh, uh, choosy about who I work with and when I work and how much I work for and all of that. Mm -hmm. And so I think, um, you know, part of the the kind of know thyself step, I think, is is knowing like, okay, well, you've got imposter syndrome. I think, you know, guess what? Everyone does. You know, yeah. hello. Um, so, to what extent is your imposter syndrome genuine imposter syndrome? Like, actually, no, you're really freaking good, but you just feel like an imposter. And to what extent mm -hmm. is it actually true? Actually, you're not that good yet. You know, <laughs> like you need to right, you need to build some right. skills. <laughs> Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you can't. I, I agree with that for sure. I mean, and that's the thing at the time when you're starting your career, it is of value to just get the experience of it more than the money. Now, at a certain point, again, when that, that switch flips, your energy, your time, your money, all of that stuff, then 
generally becomes more important. That's been my experience. And so I'm like, "Mm, I'm not, that doesn't fit because that's not worth my time or my money or whatever. Right. And it switches. Uh, But yeah, that's an interesting question. And because so often our imposter syndrome can lie to us. And so that goes back to, I love looking for evidence. I have a whole album in my phone of screenshotted texts and comments and stuff from my clients that have just, you know, gushed about me and, oh my gosh, this has been amazing. And I've gotten these results, right? So I like, I sometimes I'll just flip through that and be like, oh, okay, I know I can get people results. I know what I'm doing, right? And that can kind of get you over that hump if you're not able to feel that way yourself. Right. And if you've got those, you know, if you've got those, those screenshots and those reviews and those client text messages and whatever, yeah, probably it is just genuine imposter syndrome. Yeah. We are awesome. Yeah. Right. Whereas if you don't have any of those, like, yeah, maybe you're not awesome yet. (laughs) You know? Yeah. And I think most of us can kind of distinguish between those two things. If you really, again, get honest with yourself like you'll, we'll have those imposter syndrome moments pop up, but you also have those moments where you're like, no, I'm really good at what I do. Like I've been doing this a while. Like I get constant, my clients are coming back. They're renewing their coaching contracts there. I've had Pilates clients for, you know, literally that have followed me from place to place forever. You know, it's like you, you kind of can give yourself that reality check. Yeah. Um, I think most people can versus just like, you have to be honest with yourself of like where you're at in the process. For sure. Um, I just want to talk about what you uh, you said about, you know, starting and feeling overwhelmed by like all of the things like I need to quit my job at this studio and put my Mm -hmm. prices up and fire these clients and change my schedule and la, la, la. It's like, oh, where do I start? And just a tool that I use uh, that I find incredibly valuable for this is just it's a really, really simple tool. I just literally make a list of all the things I could do. Okay, quit studio job put prices up, fire XYZ client, change schedule, just put a list of all the things, right? And there could be 101 things on the list, whatever number, doesn't matter. Then next to each thing, I just go and I give each thing a score of one to three for how much impact it's going to have on moving Mm, me towards mm -hmm. my outcome, right? So if my outcome is a life where I feel fulfilled and clear and free and financially rewarded and all of these things, whatever the things are that I've identified that are important to me, it's like, okay, on a scale of one to three, one being like, yeah, doesn't do much, you know, and three being like, holy cow, this is like open the floodgates and all of a sudden, yeah. you know, we've leaped four levels ahead, okay, you know, one to three. How how much impact is, that, is this going to have? Just go down and mark everything on a one, one two or three, just, just on gut feel, you know, just quick yeah. and dirty. And then go go back again and do the same thing for effort. So how much effort is it going to be to do this? Like how long is it going to take? How much organisation do I need to get more skills or I need to – put things in place, you know, et cetera. And it's like one is like it's virtually, you know, it's just a matter of sending one email and it's done, you know. Mm-hmm. And the three is like, no, I've got to find my replacement and train them up and, you know, <laughs> whatever. So that's a six-month process, you know, that yeah, might be a three. Yeah. So it's like now everything's got a score of one to three for impact, a score of one to three for for effort, right, and then just rank them, you know, pr- order the list you know, with all the three impact, one effort things at the top, right? Mm-hmm. And the one impact, three effort things at the bottom, okay? And everything yeah. else in between and just start at the top, you know? That's your first thing to do. Yeah, that's, I've never, 
thought of that, but that is a great way to like get all the chaos out of your head and onto paper and into something useful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really like it. Um, and when you, if you do this at home, uh, resist the temptation to put uh, any number apart from one, two, or three, right? You're going to say, oh, that's a mm-hmm. 2.79, you know, or maybe I'm, you'll score it out of five or out of 10. It's like that. Yeah. the whole point of this is it is such a simple exercise that you can just do it, right? Yes, you don't, you don't have to over. The whole point is to not overthink it, right? Yeah, so, so yeah. So resist the temptation to, to assign any number apart from a one, a two, or a three, and don't change the scale to a five scale or a 10 scale or a 30 scale or a 100-point scale. Just give everything a score of one to three. Take no more than five seconds to put a score to each item, you know, the whole process mm-hmm. should take you five minutes. Like it should be quick because if you're taking longer than five minutes, you're overthinking it. And that's the problem in the first place yeah. is we want to just like, just get started. Yes, just do it. Okay. So I have something, maybe we can blend these two techniques together because this might be helpful for some people. So maybe some of the stuff that's bigger effort. One of the things I like to do when I'm um, setting goals or these are the things I want and I'm being really tangible about it is asking why this thing is important to me. Why do I, why is it important that I have this thing? How is it going to make me feel? And then what you can do, even if this thing is six months out, it's like, it's going to take me a while to train this person. How's it going to make me feel once this person's trained and on board and da, 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 da. I feel freer and lighter. I feel like I have what, you know, whatever it is for you. And then how can you bring yourself into that feeling state right now in the present moment? And by starting to embody those feelings now, it actually, it's, it's, it's cool. It actually puts you on the track to like do those things. Cause a lot of times we think, oh, well, once this thing happens, then I'll feel X, Y, and Z, but it's, you almost have to start pulling those pieces in right now in the present moment and acting as if, and becoming that person. And it makes doing those things easier. And it's actually very motivating and exciting So one of the questions I like to ask myself is like, if I'm stuck on something is like, what would my future self that has these things that I want, um, what would she do right now in this present moment, even if I don't have those things yet? And then you start to act as if, and it really does put you on the trajectory of having those things. Mm. I love that. And it also gets to the the heart of the truth that the Stoics, uh, you know, articulated that our, our our emotions are not related to external achievements. You know, like Mm -hmm. you can feel the way you want to feel right now. You don't have to wait until you fire that client or get that job or make that money. It's like, you can just feel that way and you can change the way you feel right now. Uh, If you take away the the rule of, I'm not allowed to feel that way until I get X um, and you just go, no, I'm just going to feel that way right now. Yeah, absolutely. I know I had a client tell me, we had finished our like 12 weeks of coaching together. And she's like, it's so interesting to me because my circumstances in my teaching, my life, nothing's actually changed on a surface level, but I feel so different. I'm not stressed out anymore. I don't have these negative feelings that I had anymore. And it's like, it didn't require anything to actually change. She changed. yeah. And so you can actually bring the, that feeling state in right now and and enjoy it right now and have it motivate you to then get those things. So, mm. Well, that's the, I mean, that's really the heart of what we've been talking about, isn't it? Because we agree that 
actually accomplishing the goal is not what brings the ultimate sense of joy because basically Mm -hmm. if you're the sort of person who's motivated by goals, guess what? As soon as you accomplish a goal, all you want is another goal. So so what's next? You know? Exactly. So so that's a, that's a never ending treadmill and it's not a bad thing, but I think what's important is to recognize what's important to recognize is the attainment of the goal is not actually where the value lies. It's the striving towards the goal. That's where yeah. the that's where the fulfillment and the goal and the and the joy comes. And so it's like you you literally have to enjoy the process because that's all there is. Yeah. Right. It's so, about becoming the person who can do those things that right. you want. It's not right. about the thing. It's like who do you have to become? What kinds of skills do you have to develop? What kinds of things do you have to go through in order to become the person that can hold those things? Right. And that's really truly what it's about. And that just it it feels so much better too cuz i like i am a like self described i'm very growth oriented i'm very driven i like you know i'm i'm actually very quick to take action which is why i love teaching this because i'm you know i just do it and it's not being able to get back into the present moment and just be awake for the whole process of this is so much more enjoyable than like running, 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 always having your gaze, you know, like 10 steps ahead of you and then getting there and then bringing your gaze 10 steps ahead again and getting there. It just loses like, it loses the impact. You can learn so much about what you're going through right now as you're going through this process, learn about yourself and really enjoy it. Like you said, before you even get there. That's just like an extra cool bonus, but it's, it's not everything. Well, I think the secret is there is no there, you know. Exactly. Because, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I have a business that by some, by standards of, you know, I guess most people listening is pretty big. We do about $350,000 a month in sales. But, you know, there are bazillions of businesses that are, you know, orders of magnitude bigger than the business that I have. And at every stage as I've grown this business from zero, it's like there's the the next stage that you want to get to. And you think, oh, when I make 10000 a month, then it'll be good. When I make 20000 a month, 30000 a month, 50000 a month, 100000 a month, 200000 a month, 300000 And now I'm like, okay, when I make 500000 a month, and then it'll be like, oh, when I make a million a month. And it's like there is no – and it's, it's like, I don't care about the money at this point because – yeah it doesn't really make much difference. The money is just kind of the scoreboard of like how many people are we helping? And, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that's just a shorthand for like, or how many students do we have and what results are they getting? Um, but yeah, it really like, there is no there, you know, for me anyway, yeah. there is no finish line. And I know that because I'm similar to you in that way, I'm very goal oriented and always, you know, if, if I set a goal of, I want to make a million a month, I make a million a month. I'll be like, okay, what's my next goal? You know, I might be like, yeah, oh, great, now exactly. I'm done, you know. <laughs> and the, the next goal might have nothing to do with financial or whatever, but it's like there's always got to be something. And I yeah. think it's in it's in the striving to attain, you know, challenging goals that we 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 give ourselves, the we create the opportunity for our own growth and we have to overcome our own limiting beliefs and improve our mm-hmm. skills and, you know, do hard things. And, you know, that's that's what, that's what brings fulfillment in life. You know, like if, if, if you're listening to this and you think about like, what are some of the, what are the, the, the things in your life that you truly love and are grateful for the activities that you do or have done or the experiences that you've had that are, have truly given meaning and, and purpose and fulfillment to your life. They're all been freaking hard things that you did that probably weren't fun a lot of the time 
you were doing yeah. it because it was just hard yeah. freaking work, right? And so that's the nature of that's the nature of achievement and fulfillment is it's like it kind of it has to be gritty and uncomfortable to a certain extent to to have meaning and to give us purpose and and um, yeah. So I think like. But the paradox is when you achieve the shiny trophy at the end, it's like you're happy for five seconds and then you're like, okay, what's yeah, next? You know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And in understanding what's my motivation to make $10,000 a month or $20,000 or $500,000, what's my intention behind that? What's driving my motivation? And if it's just for the sake of doing it, it's, it's just not going to feel the way you think it's going to feel on the other end of it. Right. It, it's like you have to you. tap in. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It just doesn't. And I think you have to sometimes, I don't know if someone hasn't done that yet, maybe they're like, Oh no, no way. That'll be so exciting. But from someone who's like been there, done that, it's kind of like, yeah, it was like really great for 10 minutes. And then it's like, Oh my gosh, I have to do it again next month. Right. It's like it, yeah. it doesn't yeah. last. It doesn't like the feeling yeah. doesn't last. If that's what's yeah. really motivating you, it has to be something else. 100%. But I, I, I guess I just I do want to reiterate here that after that little conversation about, you know, it's it's attaining the goal isn't what actually gives you pleasure. You know, of course, attaining the goal gives you some pleasure, but the, it's fleeting, yeah. you know. But yeah. it's, it's, the, it's the process of attaining the goal that's valuable. But I think, you know, I just want to you know, draw a bridge back to what we said before about money which is that like, well, if you're attaining a goal that includes uh, financial you know, achievements, it's like, well, it's, you know, again, like I've been poor and I've been rich and I know which one I prefer, you know? So yeah. I'd, I'd rather be striving after a worthy goal that's meaningful and and, and purposeful and, and makes an impact for people in a positive way whilst getting paid really well for it, you know, <laughs> than yeah, totally. doing those same activities whilst not getting paid really well for it. <laughs> You know, to me, yeah. it's just like that's that's an easy choice, and so I think that you know, whilst I do wholeheartedly endorse the the position that the goal doesn't bring the majority of the joy, right? It's the it's the process, but I think there is some value in choosing particular goals that you can actually make your life and other people's lives more comfortable, you know, less stressful, et cetera. And there's no shame in that. And that if you're listening to this and you're a Pilates instructor, there's a very good chance that you have a lot of shame around money and a lot of mm -hmm. limiting beliefs around money. Like it's, you're a bad person if you, you know, put your prices up or whatever. And I really want to encourage you to let go of those beliefs because they're not serving you and they're probably not serving your clients either. Yeah. They're not really serving anyone. Yeah. And one thing I'll just add on that, which I think you'll probably agree with me on is I've made, you know, five figure months and burn myself into the ground just to hit that number. It was like, that's the magic number. I'm like, I'll do what it takes. Cause I will, like, I will do what it takes to, when I've set a goal, but it was exhausting and I couldn't sustain it or replicate it. So I think that's, you know, it's like to right. what extent, you know, you right. want to do something sustainable and, you know, have these, these goals for yourself and always pushing more, but like be mindful of how you're, are you just going after that number no matter what it takes and doing what it takes to get there at the expense of your well-being, 
that's been my experience on both ends of the of the thing. And there is, you know, there's a sustainable way to do it. And there's the nitty gritty hustle way to do it too, you right. know? So you have to see what's going to work for you long term, I think. Right. And that comes back to your values and why you're doing this and what's, you know, what's important. Yeah. And it really kind of what you, but reading between the lines of what you said there is the concept of work-life balance. And yeah. I, you know, I don't really, I'm not really a believer in work-life balance. I think, you know, if you need a balance between your work and your life, it means that you're not enjoying your work and you see it as an imposition. Whereas I think work should be something that gives you, you know, meaning and pleasure and fulfillment and satisfaction and, you know, joy in the, in the process. And so it's like, well, why would you want balance? What would you want to do less of that? You know, like I love working, mm-hmm. you know, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, you know, I like taking the weekend off and going out for dinner with my wife and whatever, but it's like I actually work with my wife as well. So we get to hang out, you know, at yeah. work. But so I think, um, you know, but there's, there's no right or wrong. Like if you're, you know, if somebody's, if you're listening to this and your idea is of, you know, perfect lifestyle is, you know, working one hour a week, well, that's great. That's fine. You know, there's no judgment. There's nothing bad about that. There's nothing good about it. Yeah. It's just, it's just, you know, we each get to set our own goals and be free to pursue our own version of the good life. But, um, I think one, um, like you said, like there's the nitty gritty hustle way and there's the easy way, the sustainable way of doing it. Um, and that I think that an illusion or a misconception that a lot of people have is that in order to make like a million dollars a year, you have to work 10 times harder than to make a hundred thousand, which you have mm, to work 10 times mm-hmm. harder to make 10,000. Actually, my company makes about four or five million a year and I'd work less hard than when I was making a hundred thousand, you know? So yeah, so totally. it's like the whole thing about as your income climbs, actually how much you make becomes progressively decoupled from how hard you work. You know, like when you, if, if you have a job like, you know, I don't know, sweeping up the hair at the hairdressers, right? Or, you know, laying bricks or, you know, whatever. Like, well, how hard you work and how much you get paid, there's a direct correlation, right? Yeah. Um, whereas when, if you're running a business with, you know, 10 employees and they're the ones teaching the classes and billing the clients and selling the sessions and whatever, it's like, well, how hard you work really doesn't have much to do with how much you get paid. It's more the quality of decisions yeah. and, the, you know, the the processes and things that you put in place. So uh, I think that it's a false dichotomy when people sort of think like, oh, I'd rather have freed, you know, I'd rather not work so hard than have the money. It's like, well, why not have both? Yeah. And I think, oh my gosh, I know. And I actually got stuck in this trap and that, that, um, moved me into online offer creation, which is so great because it's scalable and I don't have to be there all the time and everything. But I remember, and I've had conversations with other teachers who have struggled with this, but it's like, I want to make more money, but I cannot possibly work any harder than I am currently working. So then it's like, what are your options? You could increase your rates woohoo, you make, you know, five, $10 a person, whatever. It's like, it does, it's not to the extent that you need it to be. Um, you know, you start looking at different ways that you can leverage your skills and your knowledge and your expertise into something that's not requiring you to work more hours. And then at the scale where you are, it's like, you have to have support in order to grow even more. 
So like things change. So like I know for myself, I'm very like I was like bootstrapper Brittany. Like I started my business and I had a little rug in my corner of my garage with my reformer. And I did things like very organically and grew over time. And you have to switch out of that like kind of bootstrap mentality and then look at that bigger picture. Like, yeah, you have to lead a team. You have to have support. You can't do it all yourself. You have to find new ways to leverage your skills and everything that you have to offer into other ways where you can make more money. So that's mm. like a whole other, we could record a whole other episode. Yeah. People stop yeah. themselves from making more money because they're like, right. I cannot possibly work harder, but you have to do something different. Yeah. Right. And, and it's, yeah, it's a false dichotomy. And you know, you don't, you don't have to go from teaching classes at someone's studio one day to having a team of 25 people in an no, online business. And, no, you know, no, 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 no. You, yeah. you, you just start one step at a time. Start by making your list, prioritize things on impact and effort. You know, one one step at a time. Work on the first thing, then work on the second thing, yeah. then work on the third thing. And and what happens is as you go, you pick up the skills because, and I think exactly. this comes back to your point number four of, of implementation and taking action, which is you get good at doing the thing by doing the thing. And exactly. so, you know, don't wait to start until you are good enough. Like you will be good enough after you start. That's kind of, that's mm -hmm. how it works. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So it's, uh, I guess the last thing I want to sort of add in here about just about the sort of paralysis by analysis thing that people get stuck in is like, okay, they read the self-development book or they go to the course or they do the coaching program or whatever, and then they they don't get the result. It's like, well, yeah, just reading the book doesn't do anything. Like, you have to do the things in the you book. Have you, know? the things. <laughs> you have to do yes. the things. Yes. Um, and people get stuck in the planning sometimes. Like, they want to plan it all out and sort of set goals. And I think, you know, I'm a big believer in goals. There's lots of research that goals do work. Um, yeah. Uh, but I think that people can over overdo the goals. Like, I think – uh, you know, you can have a goal of, I want to have this lifestyle, right? I want to, you know, see this many clients. I don't want to work at these times. I want to work at these times. I want to make this much money. You know, I want to see these type of clients. I want to have this impact. You know, you can, you can have a goal that's quite clearly defined. Okay. I only want to work Tuesday to Friday between 4 p.m. and 7 p.m. Like that. You can have a really mm -hmm. specific goal. But I think you mapping out the exact steps to get there can sometimes be a mistake because yeah. you, often don't know what the steps are until you start because you think you know what the steps are and you map it all out and you take the first step and you realize, oh, no, fuck, you know, I forgot these 99 things that I didn't know about. <laughs> and all of a sudden, yeah, exactly. you know, you'd like you just can't predict. Fundamentally, the future is not predictable. And like if, you know, if I think about myself 20 years ago, you know, there was no way I could predict what I would be doing now. It's like if you asked me, like, what do you think you'd be doing in 20 years? This would not have been in the top 100 things that I would have come. I would, you know, if I said to myself 20 years ago, do you think you would be running a Pilates business? Well, I mean, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. You know, <laughs> no way. Totally, totally. Yeah, there, it goes back to that piece of trust too, where it's like you don't, and I think having answers makes us feel safe. Like, I think that's just a human thing is like, we have to, you know, we want to know those steps. It makes us feel safe. So we know what to expect. It's like the faster you can let go of that. And then also know that the things you think are going to work out so great are just a lot of times they don't. Oh, and yeah. it's like, whoops, you just, you have to let so much like roll off your back and yeah. something that just like a mindset I've adapted is like when something like funny happens that totally went against what I expected. I'm like, well, that was interesting. And I just, it's like, you just 
it loses its punch. It doesn't mean anything about you. You don't have to create a story about it, meaning this thing isn't working. Like I've taught a masterclass before and not one person showed up live. And I'm just like, this is hilarious. Like, okay. And so I rescheduled it for the next day and it was great. But it's like just stuff happens sometimes. And the sooner you can just like not give it meaning and and understand that like it is part of the process. And knowing all your steps actually isn't going to make things go smoother. I mean, the further you can, you know, you're going to skyrocket along your progress because you're actually doing the things. Once you like let go of that planning mentality. Yeah. I've had so many of those as well. I taught a six, I I can even one up you on that. I taught a six week course where only two people enrolled and it's like, oh no, now I'm committed to six weeks. (laughs) I know. You're like, well, yeah, it just, it happens. And I think it goes back to that like muscle that we're talking about where it's like the more it happens, it just, it doesn't, it just becomes less of a thing. Like maybe at first you take it personally and it feels, oh, you know, it feels yucky, but then it's like, this is like, oh yeah, that just happens. And you just move on, you just move on and it's just no big deal, but you don't, you can't have that mentality unless you do it and let yourself go through those moments. So. Yeah. And that's, and that's how you learn. And that's how you build the strategy is that you observe the unexpected successes and the unexpected failures. And you go, huh, that's a new piece of data that I didn't expect. Oh, mm-hmm. and you go, I thought I was going to mm-hmm. get a hundred people enrolled in that thing and only two people enrolled in it. You know, huh, that's, yeah. I must have, must have some incorrect assumptions about the world. Um, or sometimes yeah. the opposite, you know, sometimes you think, oh, you know, people been asking me to do a certain product for ages and I'm like, oh, no one wants to do that. And then finally, for whatever reason, someone convinces me to do it and a hundred people enroll in it on day one, you know, I'm like, Oh shit, I should have done that five years ago. You know? (laughs) Yeah, totally. Totally. And you learn so much from those moments of things not going the way that you expected them to go. And you can read about it and plan for it on the front end, but there's nothing about nothing that can replace going through that experience. Yeah. So you just, you just have to do it. I know it sounds so simple, but, um, you really do have to take action on these things. It does not just fall in your lap. You can't wish for it. You can't like, you have to do it. And that implementation is where all of this like amazing deep work that you've done gets you the results that you want. Where can people find out about your coaching? Yeah, I'm really active on Instagram. It's at Brittany Labots, my first and last name. And that's pretty much where I hang out these days. I'm not much on Facebook or anything else. So Instagram is the place to be if you want to connect with me. And will there be some magic link in our show notes that takes people to see your coaching program? Yes. Yeah. So we got all the, the links and all of that good stuff in the show notes for everybody. Thanks, Brittany. This has been a really enjoyable conversation. Yeah, and, uh, likewise. Yeah. it's uh, been a high point of my week so far. Yeah, me too. This is really fun. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. After two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily, I've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the Clinical Exercise Specialist rehabilitation. Inside the program, I'll teach you to do three things. One, deeply understand how the body works. Two, confidently and expertly rehab literally any client. And three, get results for your clients. So ultimately, your clients tell their friends and you become known as the go-to expert in your area. 
This program is completely unlike any education you've done before, even if you've studied with us before, because of the way we've built the learning design. It's an online, flexible, skill-based learning program, which means you keep doing the skills under supervision until you're good at them. It's more of a mentorship model than a traditional course model. So rather than rushing through the content and having sort of one go at everything, you actually just practice live and we give you feedback and guidance and we dialogue and explore concepts together until you're highly skilled and confident. We just keep working the material until you get it. It's not rushed at all. It's not about ticking off the content. It's about engaging, practicing and applying it until you own it. This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide or go to breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification menu in our uh, link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.